Hi, I'm Bethany Godso, the Associate Vice President for Career and Leadership Development at the NYU Wasserman Center, and this is All in a Day's Work, the podcast we've created for you. The NYU network is expansive, and each member of our community has an array of unique experiences. All in a Day's Work will bring you episodes featuring members of the NYU community doing interesting work and navigating the professional world. We're excited to share their stories with you. We hope you enjoy. Hi, podcast listeners. This is Miriam Miller from All in a Day's Work. Today, we bring you Echo Ma. I've had the privilege of working with Echo previously, and actually she worked with me at the Wasserman Center for a while. So Echo, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about yourself and just share with our audience a little bit about what brought you to NYU and what's happened to you since you completed your studies there. I did my undergrad in Toronto in psychology and human resources, where I was really interested in applying psychology to the working world. And while searching for grad schools, I came upon NYU's Industrial Organizational Psychology Program, which was a very applicable program. There was a lot of actual applied projects where we had to seek out clients in the business world. So after graduating from my program, I was job searching all over the world because as a Canadian, I was job searching in Canada while also in the United States. And I wasn't necessarily binding myself to any geographic location. While this took a lot of time, it did also open up unexpected opportunities. I ended up moving to the Silicon Valley. And after moving to Silicon Valley, at first I was working in a startup building their HR function. And about six months, after six months in startup, I received an opportunity to work in the compensation capacity for Google. So I am now a compensation analyst at Google. Fantastic. And so you mentioned being an international student and trying to not really hold yourself to just one geographic location because of the work authorization issues that international students can often face. How did you go about the process of looking for a job as an international student? And what did a a multinational search look like for you? Yeah, I think the first thing is because I'm casting a much wider net, time management was very important. We have to make sure to be able to allocate my energy and my time efficiently across, say, like Toronto, New York, San Francisco, all the locations I'm looking in. And as an international student, yes, a job search process, especially depending on the degree or program, for example, my program had a lot of local candidates. So there were definitely difficulties. But for me, networking was such a huge help during the process because someone who was either referring you to a company or a recruiter who may be looking at your application, I find that it helps my chances when they know my work better. So for instance, eventually when I did land the job at Google, it was through a referral. The person who referred me, he was a very close family friend and we had the opportunity to actually talk about my career and what I had done. So they had a lot of insight and upon that knowledge, they were able to make a referral or help even refer me to other resources, potential contacts, etc. So I think that was the main, really the main difference between a international student search versus a local student search. 
When you were going through this process, did you have any anxiety about talking to U.S. employers, about needing sponsorship? How did, how did you kind of approach all of that? Yeah, it was definitely a hotly debated topic of whether you should mention sponsorship, when should it come up, and it really depends on personality. For me, I, am a, I was a very candid candidate. It was definitely something I brought up earlier in the entire recruitment interview process. And depending on the scenario, if it was a larger corporation with a recruiter, I would have been very upfront with the recruiter because more likely than not, they would have guidelines on whether or not the company is open to sponsoring a visa. I did also have some interviews with smaller companies and startups where they have much more flexibility and I got to be able to actually talk to the manager or even the founder of the startup. And with that flexibility, I focused on identifying what their concerns might be with sponsoring me as an international student and trying to think of creative solutions that might help them overcome such concerns. Because I do realize with a company sponsoring you, they are investing a lot, if not only monetarily, but also taking that legal responsibility. So for instance, with one startup, I offered to pay the visa fees myself and have it deduct out of my paycheck instead of the company fully taking on the burden of the application. I think there are options. Definitely do not give up. But at the same time, it's important to be honest with your potential employer. Yeah, I think that's really great advice. And I think the fact that you approached it a little bit differently based on what the company was and, and tried to come up with some potential solutions if there were companies that were a little bit less comfortable sponsoring a visa, I think is a really, really good approach and, and you tried to be a really active problem solver for it. When you did ultimately move across the country, because you're, you're now in Silicon Valley, how did you find that you were able to successfully navigate interviewing and networking, given that you didn't really have much of an existing network out there already and that you were really trying to reestablish yourself in a totally new environment. Yeah. Wow. Moving across the country, there's so many different aspects to it. There is the actual moving and more personal life aspect of it, and also the career, work life, searching for a job aspect. Once I decided that I was going to move, I reached out to a lot of my contacts in New York who may or may not know people out on the West Coast. And Actually, by coincidence, I was able to get introduced to quite a few people out on the West Coast. Apart from that, I was also on LinkedIn looking for our NYU alumni to see if there were any that I could connect with potentially before I moved. And a lot of people are just very open to helping out, especially new grads. I looked for connections not only to advise me on the job search, but also in terms of trying to navigate the move and establishing a life on the West Coast. So regardless of whether the contact was in my field or not, they were able to give me really insightful advice, you know, when it came down to things like, where should I rent an apartment? After my move, I made sure to follow up on any contacts who lived out on the West Coast and see if I can maintain that relationship by either meeting up with them in person or inviting them out for coffee, etc., and it's always good to kind of keep them in the loop if they have given me advice prior to my move. 
I think a lot of people are not the most comfortable networkers. It sounds like you were really thoughtful in terms of not only how you approach doing that initial networking, but then trying to also maintain that network that you had built. Obviously, it sounds like the referral ended up being very helpful for you as well. How did you approach getting that referral in terms of the nitty gritty? Because a lot of people are kind of unsure, you know, when it's appropriate to ask for it, how to go about that process. Do you have any advice for people who are in that? I never start a conversation by asking directly for a referral because that person didn't know me and doesn't know my work. So there really isn't much value in a referral where they're going to just say that they don't know you. Find some point of interest and find something that we could discuss or find an area where I wanted to seek their advice or opinion Sometimes I've gotten active offers where people would say that, oh, I'm happy to refer you if you're interested in a position with my company. And at other times, if I felt confident in the conversation and I felt confident that they had a good idea of my capabilities and generally how do you know a positive sentiment towards me, I would ask to see if I could perhaps seek their advice if I saw an open position online and When I did see an open position, I would bring that back to the person for their advice. And most of the time, if they were open to it, they would ask if I would like a referral or or they would offer to pass my resume on to someone in the company or a recruiter. We'll be right back to our episode after this quick tip from me. resume and CV are confusing to a lot of people, in part because in many areas of the world, they're really used interchangeably. When we're talking about the U.S. context, they're actually used for very different things, and they have very different purposes in a U.S. context. So a CV is really used more so for things like research positions, faculty positions, sometimes fellowships, whereas the resume is what we typically think of as being used for other types of jobs in industry. When we think a little bit about the standards that we would typically apply to resumes in terms of length, in terms of the way in which we use bullet points, a lot of those same conventions don't apply when we think about CVs. So with a CV, you're not bound by any sort of brevity that you would find in a resume. CVs are often five pages, 10 pages. They can be very long and oftentimes they'll include some sections that you wouldn't typically see on a resume. So for example, they might include a lot about publications, presentations, research interests, Uh, Sometimes they're broken up into teaching experience and research experience. They might have a large section about a dissertation or a lot more around professional associations. So it really depends a little bit on the discipline, but it can also be very based on the type of role a person is looking for, whether that's more research-based or more teaching-based. So CVs are definitely used for some different things than resumes, and it's really important that when you're applying for a role, whether or not they're actually looking for a CV or if it's really a resume they're after. And now, back to the episode. So I know that also you had moved out to Silicon Valley with your partner. And, you know, while you had been doing this multinational search, you you did end up in the same area together. How did that factor into your decision? A bit of context. My partner is a software engineer. So at the time, he was able to find a really good position out in Silicon Valley and When he received the offer, I had not yet found a job after graduation. I really wanted to go into consulting at first. You may know that New York is going to be a better location for consultancies and the consulting type of business compared to the Silicon Valley just by virtue of my job search. 
my search did not turn up as many results on the West Coast. So that was something that I had to take into consideration. So I really tried to balance both personal and my career needs. So I really, I went in on the career needs part and thought about why I wanted to get into consulting. Like what was my ultimate career goal? I ended up realizing that starting off in a big four consultancy or boutique consultancy isn't necessarily the only way to achieve that goal. So then I did some research on the West Coast to see what opportunities were out there and realized that there were a lot of tech companies, as you may all know, and that they were very innovative in how they approached the people function, which really, for me, was very intriguing. And I believe that it that going that path would also eventually land me where I wanted to go. I want to say in general, overall, for me, it was important that I gave my career full consideration and made sure that I was actually excited for the opportunity to be in Silicon Valley, to see entrepreneurship spirit, see all the tech companies, rather than simply moving for my partner. I think it's great that you really thought a little bit about the the balance of the two What do you feel like you've learned about yourself in terms of your interests and your work style, given that you have now worked in a few different types of contexts between your internships and the startup work that you did now working for a very large corporation? Is there anything that you've come to realize about what's really important to you and and how it is that you like to function in a work setting? Because my background is in psychology and in a more research-based type of a program, I tended to make everything very polished and spend a lot of time on a product And then, and only then, am I prepared to actually present it. However, when first starting out in the startup that I was at, because in the startup world, they moved really quickly, things could change within the matter of a few hours, I really had to pivot and adjust to perhaps just putting out something, a scrappy analysis, or something that the business could move forward with, while I may not be 100% confident that this is the best that I could do. And then coming to Google again, where the company is a lot bigger, processes are a lot are a lot more intricate. I am refocusing again on the quality of my work and making sure I'm solving for all the intricacies and being very detail oriented. For me, I realized that depending on the environment, I've had to flex my style. And interestingly, I don't know if I have a preference for one or the other. I think I can adjust to both. Also, with a startup environment, it is going to be faster paced compared to a larger company. I do want to say that there are, again, merits to both, and I found that I've enjoyed both. But in the very far future, I think I would enjoy a balance of agility and process and principle. But I do feel like with the way that the world is changing and the pace at which the world is changing, it's likely that... I'll probably need both in my future career, regardless of what company I'm at. Yeah. And I think we have no idea what's going to happen, you know, in the coming years in terms of the new types of jobs that spring up as a result of the quarantine. How has your experience of working changed since the move to, to being remote? I am definitely one of the very lucky people whose work life was not actually impacted much by working remote because We had the technology we needed. The company is very supportive because we often had meetings with remote participants. We were already really accustomed to having that type of remote participation and were aware of, you know, some of the things that you would want to be aware of when presenting in via video instead of in person. 
In terms of the quarantine, what have you sort of been doing to cope with it? Do you feel like there's any things that you've been doing that are sort of new additions to your routine or new habits that you've been developing, either good or bad as a result of all this? I have been on a more healthy lifestyle since I have been cooking for myself mostly instead of just eating out all the time. I do think one thing I found really important was at the beginning of my quarantine, I didn't really have a lot of distinction between work and life, which really impacted how I worked and productivity. And I wasn't necessarily able to have that clear divide between work and life that I would have liked. Being, you know, over a month in quarantine now, I've actually established a routine where, you know, I wake up at a set time in the morning, I actually put on some light makeup, go to work at, you know, in my specific seat, and I end work at a certain time. And I try as much as possible to turn off my laptop, put it away, to establish in my mind that, you know, work is over and that now is time for rest and for the rest of my life. So I want to thank you, Echo, for being with us today and chatting with us a little bit. We really appreciate having you join us and reach out to all of our listeners. Thank you for having me. If you want to learn more about the services that are offered at the Wasserman Center, you can log on to our career portal, Handshake, through your NYU homepage. Today's episode was hosted by Miriam Miller with episode guest Echo Ma. We're produced and edited by me, Lily Smith, and created with support from Mia Beresford, Danielle Crystal, Dana Rosa, Haley Garofalo, Diana Mendez, Joseph Mercadante, Carrie Pannoni, and Sarah Rosenthal. That's all in a day's work. Thanks for listening.